You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Good to hear your amens. Good to be with you today. Good to see uh, you all uh, right now, just in case some of you aren't aware, my name's Robbie. Simon's one of the pastors here, and so thankful to be so. I was away on a bit of a break. I'm wife and family and I are very uh, aware of the grace to be able to do so. I want you to know that. And immense gratitude uh, I have felt through the last several weeks. And uh, mean that sincerely. And then, so this grace, this gratitude, one more G, is great. great. The great team we have here at Hope Bible Church. I actually attended the uh, 12 o'clock service last weekend, kind of coming back into town, and I uh, heard Brandon preach, and I was just thinking, I was amazed that yet another guy who can bring the word in our church, and we are so, so blessed here in this church. And so amen, we clap for that. Amen. Amen. It really, it really is amazing, and the uh, stewardship that God has entrusted to us um, as a church, and so very thankful, and I'm also thankful that we're still opening the Bible here at Hope Bible Church, that is right, so if you could open your Bibles to Psalm 5, uh, that would be awesome, Psalm 5, and we're going to start unpacking that in just um, a couple of moments Psalm 5, we'll be spending at least two weeks, again, Lord willing, we'll see what happens on the third week. And I want to begin as we kind of uh, enter into this message today with this. Everyone loves a great recipe. Everyone loves a great recipe. So um, one of the recipes I loved when I was a young kid was a chocolate chip cook cookie recipe. And all God's people said, amen. Like chocolate chip cookies, still love them today. We have a special recipe. I think it was passed down at least for a generation and uh, I used to get it because I loved it so much, and I used to actually attempt to make it too. And I remember a few batches went actually okay. And it was exciting to see a recipe and unfold, and it was kind of delicious and be able to enjoy that. Some of you right now, you got some secret sauce recipe that's been passed down maybe through decades or generations, and you're sharing that with no one. It is a family secret, and it is delicious, and you have blessed countless people with that, and you're holding that close, and maybe you'll pass it down in secret to some child or some family member who's worthy of that kind of resource as well. And I'm thankful for your secret sauce recipe because it is a blessing and it tastes so good as well. Recipes bless a lot of people. A great recipe has been used again since the world started to see a lot of blessing. But here's where I want to transition. What if there's a recipe for food not only, because food's one thing. What if there's a recipe for so much more? What if there's a recipe that we could follow with wisdom and God's spirit that would result in internal blessing. A recipe for the love of God to be known and felt. A recipe of hope. What if there was a recipe of rejoicing? A recipe that would result in a greater joy in our lives. Wouldn't that be great? I have two words in response to that question. A yes, please. Yes, please. A recipe for rejoicing. I mean, look around. We live right now in a world rampant with dissatisfaction, discouragement, disillusionment. It's just, it's all around us. You see it, I see it. So many, the world's preaching such a big game, delivers on nothing. And so many people are dissatisfied. Today we start to see a pathway, a journey, a recipe for rejoicing. And here's what I love too. It's no secret it's what God reveals to us in Psalm 5. So we've been in this wonderful series again this summer, Good for the Soul, 
Summer pause for a series in the Psalms. But today we're going to do a little series within a series. We can put that slide up right now. And so this is where we go for at least two weeks and likely three. A recipe for rejoicing, a joy-filled exposition of Psalm 5. As we, again, open Psalm 5, it's interesting that we don't know the context of Psalm 5 for sure. Some suggest maybe this is when David finds himself within crisis with Absalom. It's unlikely, but some have said just based on the content, possibly he does describe enemies a lot within this psalm. So this may suggest this is a time prior to David fleeing from Jerusalem, again with the crisis he found himself in. So whenever this was, whatever was happening, here's what we do know for certain. We know David is under opposition. We know David is up against deception. We know David is dealing with lies and David is surrounded, again, with he defines as evil. That for sure is the context of this psalm. Maybe you can relate right now. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you find yourself surrounded by forms of opposition. Maybe you relate right now and you're up against lies, a lack of integrity. Some of you, again, are confronted with the seriousness of things and difficulty and enemies and you would just label it outright evil. If that is you, then you will find this psalm very pertinent for where you are, very helpful, very instructive, and I also pray very, very encouraging. However, this psalm, again, in the difficulty of where David finds himself, we do see, if you look at Psalm in the last two verses, verses 11 and 12, we see where David ends up, right? He's on this journey, and this journey ends in joy. Verse 11, let, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. Listen, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So again, look at where David ends up. The difficulty, the pain, the crisis, the opposition. He ends up, though, with joy. He ends up with rejoicing. He ends up with love and blessing and favor. Again, we respond to that, yes, please. Yes, please, sign me up for where David ends up. But here's the question, how does he get there? How does he get there in the midst of pain and crisis and opposition to this place of rejoicing and joy and love and favor and blessing? The answer to how he gets there is the whole nature of what we're going to do in Psalm 5. It's a recipe for rejoicing. And we're going to see that Psalm 5 provides for us five ingredients as we go through Psalm 5 in this recipe for rejoicing. So we're going to unpack a couple of these ingredients today. And then, Lord willing, we will have the remainder of the ingredients on this recipe for rejoicing next week as well. So you got to come back as we finish the psalm again, Lord willing, next week. So five ingredients in Psalm 5. Let's read the first portion of our psalm, and then we will begin to bake our cake of joy. Amen, church? That'd be great. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be great. Verse 1, David says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you 
and watch. Love that. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Listen to this. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Wow. Verse 7, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. All right, this is on the, the journey of, again, the recipe of rejoicing, the journey towards joy. Ingredient number one. Okay, what I love about this today is that there's so much clarity. Do you want more joy in your life? And I pray the answer is yes. If you want more joy, as you apply these ingredients to your life this week, you are guaranteed for the joy of God to result, again, as we are not just hearers but doers, of the word. What is ingredient number one? It is this. It is early, earnest prayer. Ingredient number one for the recipe for rejoicing is early, earnest prayer. Again, verse one. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. Now, as we jump into Psalm 5 and we see David here, this reveals so much. I want you to stop. I want you to think. I want you to soak it into with God's word. You've come this far. You might as well be transformed. And look at what David is revealing here. We see in these first couple of verses the power of David's heart, the power of David's dependence, which leads then to the power of David's joy. David, in the midst of pain and difficulty and crisis, loved ones, watch, watch this. In the midst of his pain and difficulty, there's only one direction his life takes. There's only one person he goes to. There's only one thing that he is consumed with, with the direction of his life. It is towards his king and his God. I mean, that's so instructive right there. Where do you turn in the midst of pain and crisis, opposition and difficulty? So often we talk so much about different things, but we never actually talk to God about those things. Here is David. Notice what he says, a trio of imperatives in verses one and two. Notice he says, oh God, give ear to my words. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. Like right here, these imperatives, do you sense his earnestness? Can you hear his urgency? Can you feel his dependence? Listen, on the Lord, on his recipe for rejoicing, he presents his pain, he gives his groans, he calls out with a cry. He is on his way with earnest prayer. Listen, with earnest prayer, to the only true source of lasting joy. It is so simple, but it is so profound. Where do we turn when we find ourselves in the greatest need and find ourselves in life in general? Look at the direction of David's life through prayer to the source of inexhaustible joy. Notice that David does not turn to alcohol. Some of you this week have tried to turn to such substances and it'll never, ever, ever satisfy. There's a temporary numbing and then, of course, the misery sets in yet again. Notice he does not turn to binge eating. 
He's not trying to find his way out through the physical appetites. Notice he doesn't turn either to entertainment as we are so, so prone to do as much as ever. Notice he doesn't turn to the gossip to others about his enemies or his problems. Notice he doesn't turn trying to talk, 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 talk to all these different people without talking to God himself. Notice he doesn't turn to Twitter. Notice he does not turn to yet another purchase. Trying to numb the pain of the reality of discontentment. See, David's a wise man. He knows, why would I turn to such things when they will only multiply my sorrows? It's David actually wrote in Psalm 16. David said this. He says, the sorrows of those, this is so instructive on the journey to joy. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Isn't it so? So again, the journey to rejoicing is the Lord Jesus Christ. The journey to multiplied sorrows is to run after the world, is to run after false gods. The sorrows of those who run after other gods, they will multiply. Sorrows, false gods, multiply sorrow in our lives. The recipe for rejoicing, of course, is found in earnest prayer to the Lord himself. Look what he says next in verse two. He says, to my king and my God. That's so good, eh? My king and my God. But wait a second, David was king. Yeah, but David was the earthly king, and David understood, again, with a man after God's own heart, David understood who the true king was. That was the Lord himself, and he refers to the Lord as my king and my God. And then the final phrase in verse 2, so helpful, for to you do I pray. For to you do I pray. And there it is, and there it is, and there is what? There is the secret to the man after God's heart. What is, what is, what is the secret to the man after God's heart, is that he's constantly pursuing the heart of God. The secret to joy, the secret to being a man or woman after the intimacy of the Lord is to be a man or woman who's pursuing, again, in affection, the heart of God. I mean, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, only found in the Lord Jesus Christ, only found in the gospel, only found in the person of God himself, and that then is where satisfaction is found. You see, you see, you see, the recipe for rejoicing is dependence through prayer upon the living God is right here. This is what David is saying. He says, to you do I pray, to you do I pray, no Notice, not to money, not to politics, not even to a friend, not to a superstition, not to a device. So simple, so powerful, so important. To you, God, do I depend. To you do I pray. Again, notice embedded within these verses, his reliance, his dependence, his priority was prayer. Prayer to his king and his God. This is his recipe for rejoicing. He's going to the source, the one who is the bread of life. He goes to, again, Jesus Christ, the only one who can dispense living water. Again, pain, crisis, opposition, difficulty, straight to the heart of God. Where do you and I turn? Where are you turning right now in your life in the midst of the difficulties and challenges we all face? 
See, one of the things that happens is we read Psalm 5, verses 1 and 2. We look at it. We're like, oh, that's nice. That's nice. But then nothing changes in how you and I actually change our lives and approach God. We nod. We give lip service. And I say this because this is what I do too. But the reality of changing the directions of our affections and our intentions to see more prayer lived out for the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when life starts to actually be transformed again within our lives. Hey, why do so many believers in Christ lack joy? It's because they lack Jesus. The reason so many believers lack joy is because they lack Jesus. Jesus isn't first. He's somewhere way down the list and everything else in life seems to crowd in. But if Jesus is only the true source of joy, unless he's first, of course we're going to be living without. Of course we will be living with a dissatisfaction. Of course we'll be living battling misery and frustration and anger and discontentment because there's only one who can actually be that true fulfillment of that joy. David understands. So David's like, I'm crying, I'm groaning, I'm praying, my kids and my God, you are the one that I need. And this begins his recipe for rejoicing. Man, like, again, this stuff is simple, but it is, it is absolutely paramount for our lives as we live before Jesus Christ. I mean, imagine, imagine we were a generation that sincerely sought the face of God. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks the face of God of Jacob. Can you imagine if we were known for our hunger and pursuit of the Lord? Can you imagine the impact that that would bring? And one of the best ways that we display our dependence and reliance upon God is through early, earnest prayer. Hey, did you know that we have a prayer meeting coming up this Wednesday at 7 p.m.? Did you know that? And the reason we do that is we get to live out together the very reality of what God is showing to us. The more we live our lives based on dependence in prayer, the more joy we will encounter because the more of God's presence starts to fill our lives. Now hear me very correctly. You build your life on earnest prayer, it's not getting easier. It will get much better. But it is not getting easier. But it will be more joy. Because there's more Jesus entering into your life. This Wednesday at 7 p.m., one of the ways that we gather to live out and to see more of this ingredient, again, fill our lives and be a part of our church in seeking and abiding in him that we might know his joy. But David's not done even with this prayer piece. Look at verse 3 now. Verse 3. I love verse 3. He says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So interesting. Psalm 5 can also be called a morning psalm. It can also be seen as a morning prayer because of verse 3, because David's so intentionally holding up the power of the morning. In the morning I seek you. In the morning I pray to you. In the morning again my heart longs for you. In the morning I prepare. In the morning I watch to see what will happen. This could be a morning prayer. You could take Psalm 5. You could pray it every morning this week. That might be an unbelievable, unbelievably great suggestion. Notice how morning is repeated twice in verse 3. So again, David's intentionality with how he uses his mornings 
in the pursuit of joy found only in the Lord God Almighty. Now, I'm going to admit right now, church, okay, I am, I am heavily biased here up front when it comes to verse 3. I'm heavily biased. What do you mean? Well, I'm a big believer in the morning. Like a big believer in the morning. However, we must all admit as we approach Scripture, there are so many examples in Scripture. Moses, here's David, and Jesus himself as to the power of the morning. Again, if I'm totally honest, and, and I want to be, my life, I live and die by my mornings. That is, that is no exaggeration. I cannot do what I do. I'll never be who God wants me to be apart from my mornings with him. It won't happen. I live and die by my mornings seeking the Lord Jesus Christ because apart from abiding in Jesus Christ, I and you can do nothing. When I see verse three here, it just makes my heart resonate so deeply with the power of what is being expressed. Notice here too, what I see David saying in verse three is priority. When I wake up, oh God, you are my priority. This is what I see David saying. When I rise, I'm insufficient for what the day requires in every aspect of my life. So in the morning, I seek you. In the morning, I prepare to meet with you. In the morning, I watch as I pray to see how you will answer. In the morning, oh God, you are first. The power, the power of living a life where the Lord gets the first day of our week. Where the Lord receives the first check that I write. Where the Lord alone gets the first hour of my day. That is a life indicating the priority and the love for God above all else. The first day of my week, the first check that I write, And the first hour of my day, in the morning, oh God, do I seek you. I remember being at a conference several years ago and Pastor Preacher Chip Ingram was there, great man, great pastor and speaker and author. I remember him, he's preaching a message, one of the things he said so practically, it's always stuck with me. I, obviously, I resonated with it based on what I've said to you already, but he said this to me, I've never forgotten it, and I probably never will. He's like, you know, I was, he's talking about pursuing the Lord and stuff, and he's like, I looked at my life, and I asked myself, what do I do after nine o'clock at night? And he's like, as I looked at my life, he goes, I realized that after 9 p.m. at night, I might watch the news, I might dabble a little bit of this, but, but for the most part, it's fairly unproductive. There's not a lot that I'm doing between nine and midnight, whatever it is that I'm really excited about or it's kind of enriching, especially my walk with the Lord. And he's like, so I decided, he's like, well, why do I want to do that? Why not go to bed earlier and then wake up earlier where the best part of my day and the first part of my day is given again to pursue the Lord. And he's like, I've been living that way ever since. And I'm sitting there listening and I'm just like, yeah, that really, really resonates with me personally. Like I'm listening, I'm like, what do I do after nine o'clock? No, no, no. As I say this, I want to give tons of grace for those that are night people. 
okay? Which I understand would be more than a few. But you must ask yourself the same question as well. What is happening after 9 p.m., let's say, in the evening? How much productivity for the Lord is there? When am I at my best in that way? And maybe for you, it's an evaluation to say, yes, that's right. I'm going to, again, go to bed earlier. I'm going to use my time more wisely and then wake up in the preparation of seeking the Lord again in this way with a preparation and organization to be so watchful in all that the Lord would have for me. I've never forgotten that. It's always stuck with me so much, and I just had a hard time disagreeing with them. Again, lots of grace for those maybe who have struggles in the morning. I just, I just think you need to see what the text is saying, the examples that have been before us, and we have to say again, how do I want to live my life in the way that God has given me opportunity so this is a massive ingredient to the recipe of rejoicing. Notice David's intentionality. So we're still not done in this prayer theme. Look at the end of verse 3. He says, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So watch this. David's not waking up and scrolling through his social media feed. Right? That's not what he's doing here. David is prepared. He's ordered. David has a plan of seeking God. He's prepared and ready, and he's ready to watch as well, to meet with his God. Let's get very practical here for a second. We've gone through this teaching in uh, years past as well. So just taking this, in the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. Maybe this for you, this is stuff that we have, and we've taught, we have wonderful resources in our God Time 5G Life page, again, with on our website. This has been taught. The Institute does an awesome job with this, and our group ministry and all of that. Let me just remind you, though, of the simplicity of coming with a plan of seeking the Lord, because David had this. First of all, get a plan. Get a plan. A plan to wake up. A reading plan of what you're going to do. A plan to have a journal. A plan of preparation of how you're going to spend your time seeking the Lord. Get a plan. Don't just show up and just kind of, you know, point somewhere in scriptures. Get a plan. How are you going to do it? How long are you going to do it? Again, we have so many resources to help you with this. Get a place. I'm such a huge believer in having a place. I love my place. I mean, on my break, I remember that's just where we found ourselves. I always found a place. And by a place, I mean like a chair. A chair. I just... I just think about it right now and just the, the times of meeting with the Lord and sitting in a chair and preparing myself and getting ready and organized and having my Bible and journal, whatever it is, and the time to sit and reflect. In some places, there is this beautiful view. In other places, I'm sitting there in the dark with a little lamp, whatever it might be, but having a place of routine to say, this is where I encounter the Lord to seek and pray. I'm so excited about it even now because it makes such a difference. Get a plan and get a place and get a pen. A pen, why? To journal, again, what you've been learning. And all our resources can help you with that on the, the here method of journaling or other ways to sit down and have a pen to observe the things that God is saying to you. Get a prayer. One of my favorite verses from the Psalms is just for this prayer. is, oh Lord, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. Even this morning, you know, I got up, and um, like last night, um, yesterday was a weird day. That's no surprise because what was happening today. And then last night, I wake up in the middle of the night, and it's just stress, and there's 
whatever. It's just weird, man. And just you're lying awake, and then you're, you're tired early in the morning, and you just got to get up. And I get to the plan that I have and the place I'm sitting there, and then start to pray, Lord, actually, Father, I'm here again. I'm here. Please speak to me. Father, please help me. I can't do it. And it's a prayer. It's just an honest, sincere prayer of saying, Lord, I want to meet with you. I love doing that too. Like when you pray, like when you have times here at the front of church, sometimes like even in small group, we can just pray like out of ritualism. And we're praying about people. We're trying to impress people that we're praying to them basically. Just forget all that, man. I try so hard to think I'm praying to my father right now. And he really, really loves me. And so, Father, like I, I, really, I really need your help. And I really want to hear from you. And then from there, this is where the passion starts resulting. This is, this is David's secret to being a man after God's own heart, in part. Do you know why so many believers lack joy? It's because they lack a plan and a prayer and a place to meet with Jesus. It's just not the priority. It needs to be. If, if you want true joy, it, need, it needs to be the priority. This is the first and essential ingredient of seeking the Lord and seeing a recipe for rejoicing again within our lives And then notice the final two words of verse 3. We're still not done with this first ingredient. Look what he says. Prepare and watch. Man, I love that so much. David's prayers are layered with expectancy. The NIV translates this. I wait with expectation. That is awesome. Right? So notice what's happening here. In the midst of trial, opposition, and pain... David goes to early earnest prayer, but here's what we often do, right? We might pray about something and we just leave it there and we move on our day and we never actually look back to say, hey, did God hear my prayer? David's like, no, man, I'm watching, I'm praying and I'm waiting in expectancy for these prayers to be heard. We gotta do that more. Paul totally understood this. Colossians 4 verse 2, taking a page out of David's book, continues steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, with thanksgiving, by faith, that these prayers will be heard and answered. Early, earnest prayer. Did I mention we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7 p.m.? Oh, good. I just wanted to make sure. This is how we live out, again, what we are talking about. One of my most basic prayers in my life is just, Lord, I pray for more prayer. I pray for more prayer. Lord, I need to pray more. I got to pray more. There's too much prayerlessness in my life. I got to pray more. So simple, so easy, so hard. I got to pray more. I mean, as a church, this Wednesday, we've got to pray more. Pray for a praying church. God, make us a house of prayer. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Make us a people of prayer, families of prayer, marriages of prayer, friendships of prayer, groups of prayer. Prayer to seek you. Again, if we want to know the joy and the strength of the Lord, we have to be a people who pray. We have to be a people. Help us, Lord, to pray. Because again, when we pray, then we move towards the presence of God. And David says in Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. Right? I want joy. You say, I want joy. Not without God's presence. How do you get God's presence? By praying to him and abiding in him. 
We want the end result. We don't want any path on the way there. In your presence is fullness of joy. Jesus says, unless you abide in me and I abide in you, again, you will not bear any fruit. You can do nothing. He says later on, you abide in me that your joy may be full. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy. How do we have the fruit of the Spirit? By the presence of God, the Spirit filling our lives. How do we have the filling of God in the presence and the Spirit in our lives? Is by the pursuit of dependence and prayer in him. Why so many believers lack joys because they lack Jesus. Because our lives are so filled with everything else but him. God forgive us and he will. And he does. The recipe for rejoicing is found in early, earnest prayer. And just, just before we move on, can you imagine? Let's say... Two or three hundred people. We have a church of a few thousand. Can you imagine two or three hundred people took this so seriously to pursue the Lord in this way with a daily desire to seek him in this type of prayer? Like, I mean, really. I mean, like, really doing it. Can you imagine a few hundred of us, like, sincerely sought the Lord in this way? This church would change. This church was changed. Lovins, I know the stats. I know the stats. I hope our church is above average. But I just know in total honesty, it's rare to have a believer who daily pursues the heart of God through word and prayer. In North America, it's rare. And that is devastating. If two or three hundred of us would seek the Lord in sincerity and passion, this church would change. You'd walk into church for worship and song, you'd feel it. If you'd walk into a prayer meeting this Wednesday, you'd feel it. The relational community, you'd feel it. Everything changes from this foundation. All these other things we want, all these other things we hope to get, all these other programs we hope to see happen, not without a foundation of abiding and presence and prayer in the Lord God Almighty. This is why David starts here. Life is hard, pray. Challenge, pray. Opposition, pray. Enemies, pray, 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 pray. To who? To one, my King and my God. And joy, and joy won't be too far behind. Ingredient number two, intentional, reverent purity. If you want joy in your life, not without purity. Impurity kills joy. Verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors, abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So, 
A serious passage here. If the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, then the question we must ask, then what repels his presence? You say, I want joy. I want true joy, lasting joy, Christ-filled joy. Then you want the presence of God. If you want the presence of God, though, you must understand what repels, quenches his presence. Look at what our text is saying here. The Lord despises wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with him. Pride is opposed by him. The boastful will not stand with him. Evil is hated by him. Liars will be destroyed by him. Murders and deceivers are abhorred by him. Wow, wow, wow. Loved ones, please understand this as we live our lives, all right? God is so gracious and merciful, loving, and kind. But please understand, God does not find our sin funny. God is never, ever amused by our sin. Look at how serious he is about holiness. Look how serious he is about purity. If we say we love Christ, if we say we believe in the gospel, but evil reigns in our lives, that's impossible. I want you to hear this today for this service right now, okay? You need to understand this theological reality and necessity. If we say we love Christ and we believe in the gospel, but evil reigns in our lives, that is a theological impossibility. You see, why would you say that? Because the Bible says that. First John chapter 3, take a look. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So practice is the key word there, okay? All of us sin every single day. All of us sin. I hate my sin. Can't wait for heaven. Glorification, the absence of sin once and for all. But however, there's a difference between sinning and struggling and hating sin by your whole life being dominated by a practice of sin. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. If God's seed abides in you, you cannot keep on sinning. Like there must be a process of change. Why? Because you've been born again by the Holy Spirit. You have been regenerated you have gone from death to life. Jesus Christ has saved you. So although you sin now, you know, on a daily struggle, but the progress is there towards the Lord Jesus Christ. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. As we look at verses four and six, without a doubt, these are ultimately referring to those who reject God, who hate God, who spurn God, unbelievers. We learn here in verses 4 and 6, and we'll hear as we go along in the psalm, they will not win, they will not last. Rampant impurity will be dealt with. Their pride will be held to account. It's holding up the very character and the holiness of our God. Loved ones, evil cannot dwell with him. The holiness of our God consumes evil. That's his character. It's who he is. He is a consuming fire. But watch what happens here with David, okay? David's understanding of impurity now is a massive incentive for his own purity. You see that? David's understanding of the seriousness of impurity as God sees impurity is now a massive incentive and motivator for his own purity in the pursuit of God. So 
David writes down, evil may not dwell with you, God. Think of that the next time you are tempted with demonic pornography. He says, the, the boastful shall not stand. Think of that as your life is built upon self-promotion and total selfishness. He says, you destroy those who speak lies. Think of that when you are living a life of devil-mindedness and deception and dishonesty and a lack of integrity. He says, the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty. Think of that the next time you continually want to hate your neighbor. Now, before you start hating me, let's apply the gospel. Okay, so like, when I look at this list, and I sit on this list as I have all this week, and the reality is, the sin of my life comes to the surface, and the sin of my past, and the sin of my future that's inevitable before Christ returns, there's a lot of conviction here. There's a lot of horror, I feel, in some ways. There's a lot of disgust and honestly just like, I'm in trouble. Because that is me. But then I apply the gospel. And the gospel tells me that if I have received Jesus Christ by grace through faith, that every single sin of mine, past, present, future, has been forgiven by him that Jesus Christ has washed me clean by the blood that he shed, not mine, his, on the cross. And I am 100% fully forgiven. I deserve death. I deserve eternal wrath and separation apart from God. And yet in Jesus Christ, by his love and kindness and grace and mercy, I am absolutely 100% forgiven by him because of Jesus and because of his gospel. And so what this does for me, as much as I shudder at the reality of sin, I apply the gospel, what? It fills me now with a joy. A joy to say, I deserve death, but I'm alive. I deserve punishment. I'm innocent. I deserve God's wrath. I have God's favor. I don't deserve it. That doesn't make me grumpy. That makes me grateful. I now have joy because of the gospel. But the reality of the seriousness of impurity fills me with a wonder of my innocence and forgiveness. And now, what does this make me do now? Does this make me take the grace of God and say, now more sin? No! It makes me say the grace of God, now more purity, God! More love for Christ, more thanksgiving for Christ, more devotion for Christ, more hunger for Christ, more pursuit of Christ. God, you've done everything for me. Now I want to live more for you. Not so you'll love me more because you love me perfectly already. And now I want to give my life in obedience and as a love offering to you. I want to pursue purity now with my life because you have set me free and cleansed me from such awful impurity of my past. This is what David's doing. You see the key to joy? The seriousness of impurity, but now the joy of pursuing purity because of what God has done. 2 Corinthians 7 just says it so well too again. Since we have these promises, the promises are the gospel, it's the indicative, what God's done in the past. Because he's saved you, now, imperative, present, cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Cleanse ourselves 
from sin, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What a verse. You see? Because of what he's done, promises in the gospel, now we are motivated for purity and cleansing in Jesus Christ. Massive incentive on the path to joy. And notice what David does next. He he sees the impurity, but now look at verse 7. He says, but I, but I, look at, look at, here's the gospel, right? Through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house, but I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you because of the holiness of God. I will be led by you, O Lord, in righteousness. I want my way to be straight before me. God, I seek you. Verses seven and eight are an incredible, an incredibly powerful ingredient in the recipe of rejoicing. Verses seven and eight are so life changing. But for that ingredient, you need to come back next week. So two ingredients today, and Lord willing, three more next week in the recipe for rejoicing. But you know what I love and I love so much? Church, church, listen, listen, listen. If you take seriously the first two ingredients today given to you in God's word of prayer and purity, if you go from hearing the word to doing the word, the guarantee is you will know joy in your life this week in a new way. That is absolutely guaranteed because it's the promise of God. Won't get easier. Life will get better. Prayer and purity. Those ingredients alone, you will find joy starting to trickle and pour down into your life.